Welcome to the Veteran Founder Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. Starting a company allows you to be back in control. The weekly show that brings together military spouse and veteran founders who are doing remarkable things in the business world. I can't imagine there's anything out there stronger than the bond that military and veteran entrepreneurs have. We'll hear their story, the story of their business, and lessons learned. Joy can override the worries and depression. Here are your hosts, Carmen Nazario and Josh Carter. Happy Friday, everybody. It is 1 p.m. on the West Coast. I'm your host, Josh Carter. Carmen is out this week. Uh, it's really exciting that uh, it, hopefully you guys are all in the warm and fuzzy love mood and you had a great Valentine's. I know I did. I got to celebrate Valentine's with my lovely wife of 27 years. And so, uh, so it was a lot of fun. Um, and hopefully you're ready for the weekend. If you are unfamiliar with the show, welcome. Uh, every week we bring in these amazing veterans who are doing some cool stuff in the business world, and this week's no exception. We have the incredible Sam Meek. He is the founder of Sound Sandbox, two X's, uh, at sandbox.us. We're going to get into that business a, a, in a bit, but welcome to the program, Sam Meek. How are you, sir? Hey, it's great to be with you guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. Uh, I am so excited to talk to you. I, I'm really digging the site. I think it's a really cool thing, and I want to really dig into that. But first, we always really start to get to know you first. So I want to understand, first, where are you from, and what really prompted you to join the Marines? You're, you're a former yeah. Marine. That's right, yeah. So um, uh, I, gr- I grew up on, in Sun Valley, Idaho, and um, had a really fun time just growing up on the ski slopes. And, um, oh man, that must've been rough. It was really rough. Yeah. Half day Wednesdays on the Hill was, was tough. You poor Um, guy. But it, uh, nonetheless, you know, growing up in the wilderness was, was pretty fantastic. Um, I don't know if you can classify Sun Valley as total wilderness. There's a little glitz out there, but nonetheless, uh, you know, absolutely loved it. But, um, when I, uh, when I was a senior in high school, the towers fell and that was kind of, uh, uh, you know, part of my calling. Um, you know, the, the other side of the equation was that I, I come from a, a family of Marines as well. So um, I, I, I always thought that I'd end up in the Marine Corps. I thought that I'd be, be doing it, you know, probably after college. But, um, you know, given everything that was going on, the timing was right. And uh, I kind of jumped headfirst in the Marine Corps. And it was, you know, uh, you know, besides, you know, meeting my wife, you know, second greatest moment in my life. Nice. So tell me about, so you said that, the 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 nine eleven really sort of motivated you to get into the Marines. When you got there, what were you hoping to do? So I was I was fairly open. Um, you know my uh, my family had done a number of things in the Marine Corps. I had uh, an uncle who was a tanker in the Army. Uh, some other family members, um, you know, across different um, MOSs and jobs in the military. So you know, I was, I was really open to a bunch. But I, I remember when I was trying to figure out what what I wanted to do in the Marine Corps. I met this uh, sergeant who was a recruiter and he was telling me about um, what it's like to be what they used to call a nuclear biological chemical defense specialist. And, you know, I remember when he first started, you know, he told me the name. I was like, dude, that's way too complex for me. <laughs> and uh, and then he and he started breaking down some of the functions like you literally don't do any of that. You go to school, learn all that stuff. But most of what you're doing is spending time with the senior leaders doing command and control operations and training and you get to see, uh, you get to be put into leadership positions a little bit sooner than, you know, a lot of your peers across uh, other jobs in the military. And I thought that was kind of cool. And, um, you know, there's only 700 of us in the Marine Corps, so it was a small MOS. So, um, 
they had an opening for it, so that's uh, I selected it and and went with it. Nice. And what was your experience when you went in the in the Marines? I saw on your uh, on your page you you've been deployed a few times. What was that like? It was yeah, just a you know through the thick and the thin of it, just fantastic. Uh, you know, um, I think uh, as mm. most Marines will tell you, uh, not all Marines love the Marine Corps, but all <laughs> Marines love Marines. Yeah. And um, you know, I, I think I was someone who. Who I, I did. I love the Marine Corps, but I, I love spending time with my Marines. And, you know, I had more fun than you could shake a stick at. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd do it again any second. Miss it every day. And part of what, you know, we're doing at Sandbox gets to scratch that itch a little bit. So, um, but, you know, yeah, we'll join the Marine Corps, uh, rose to the ranks, got the sergeant, uh, deployed to Takatam for the first time, focused on getting beans, bolts, and band-aids off the front lines. And, uh, and then went back to, with the tour with third recon and, uh, we were just more, you know, hunting bad guys that time. And, um, I was helping out with the ops and a lot of the training, uh, for, for the reconnaissance mission. So it was a, just a great, great experience overall. And, um, I actually ended up getting injured in Fallujah on a non-combat injury. And at that point decided to, uh, to get out and see if the grass was green on the other side, which I'm still debating. Yeah. <laughs> what I love about the Marines, I'm a Navy guy. What I love about yeah. the Marines is that you, I have yet to find a Marine I can offend, which is great. <laughs> I, it's yeah. really hard to offend a Marine just because they, they're not politically correct. Uh, they, they already are pretty foul mouthed more so than the Navy guys and gals. Uh, but I mean, it's just, you can't offend a Marine unless you like are shitting all over the Marines. Then you just really can't offend them. Yeah. Oh, it's even tough to offend shitting on the Marines because we're just so used to it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. When we used to do, uh, I used to run Patriot Bootcamp. We'd, we'd be, uh, you start the sort of the program and, uh, and we'd jokingly say with the Marines, you know, just don't eat the crayons. So you, <laughs> you, you get out, you get out and, uh, and, and what was that transition for, for you like? It was, uh, you know, I think it was very akin to what a lot of folks experience. You get out of the military and you go home and you just start to figure out what you want to do. I, you know, I think what we found is some of the people that are a little bit smarter than us will actually start to think about that transition, you know, a year before they get out, which I wholeheartedly recommend most people do. Um, but I definitely didn't do that. I, I got out and got, went back home and I was, went back to the golf course that I was catting at, um, at when, when I joined the Marine Corps. And just kind of really, you know, fast awkwardly uh, was catting for this guy. And he said, uh, hey, do you know what a hedge fund is? And I said, I have no idea. And he said, perfect, come work for me. <laughs> and I ended up I ended up being uh, one of the business development leaders for, you know, a relatively large and fast growing hedge fund. And um, it was a pretty cool experience for for me because I'd, I'd never really cut my teeth in business. I'd always been an entrepreneur. I, I you know, was always doing some side hustles when I was a kid and, you know, started a a company when I was 13 that was making hacky sacks, but it, it was, it was nothing along the lines of understanding, you know, enterprise relationships and how, you know, real things get done in the economy. And, um, I think it was, uh, probably one of the key pieces of, you know, who I am today, as far as understanding, you know, relationships and, you know, the way things happen with business. What do you think taught you about that first experience in the outside world after you got out of the Marines that you took, uh, from, from your time in the Marines. In other words, you know, when, when you left and you started working with, for this hedge fund, what were some of the things that you took from the Marine Corps to, to really sort of make you a success there? Well, I, I think, you know, one of the easy things was, you know, if there's, if there's shit to get done, it's gotta be done. And, um, you know, I saw, 
you know, not just in, in, in my, my, my finance career, but, you know, friends that were working, you know, across Wall Street or at other agencies or whatever, you know, any other job, you know, they, they'd, they'd, uh, they'd punch a clock and five o'clock would roll around and they'd like, oh, I'm out of here. I'll, I'll, I'll get this done tomorrow. And um, I just found that I, I got so much more joy out of staying late, getting a little bit more done, getting the office early and cranking out a lot of work and um, trying to work with my internal stakeholders to get things done, which, you know, you really learn that in, uh, in, in the military. And, um, you know, so uh, that was probably one of the, the critical assets that I brought to, you know, my first, uh, uh, you know, stab at a professional career. And I think it, it definitely helped me, you know, get promoted and move along. And how long did you do that? Uh, I was at WR for about four years. Oh, wow. Nice. Nice. So you start this business. What's the sort of thought process here? I mean, you get from hedge fund to doing apps that you could send letters and do travel. Yeah. (laughs) What's the transition there for you there? (laughs) So again, I was cat eight. No. Um, (laughs) So when I I was, uh, so interesting. So WR, uh, I was employee number 12. We grew to 60. Um, when I got there, we had like 200 million under management when, uh, at the peak, it was like 1.6 billion. And I saw a really, really great business model and some really awesome leaders, um, just completely disagree on the strategy and the focus on the business. And the whole thing fell apart. Um, the credit crunches definitely didn't help with that. And given the way the platform was designed, it also didn't lend itself in the, in the favor of success. So everything kind of cratered and fell apart. But at the time, I'd, I'd been introduced to um, my uh, my co-founder and, and, and chairman of Sandbox, Major General Ray Smith, who's, who's since become a not only a dear friend, but a, a real fatherly figure to me. And he was trying to figure out how could we create a website for Marine Corps spouses to stay connected. And what was interesting is when I first got back from Iraq, I had, uh, you, you remember my, how MySpace was all the rage back then? Wait, what's that? MySpace. Yeah, I know, right? You're more of a Friendster kind of guy. The Navy yeah. guys were more Friendster, right? <laughs> oh, um, ouch, that hurts. <laughs> so, Words hurt, um, Sam. I know. <laughs> so, so, you know, my, uh, MySpace was big, and I, I built out a MySpace page for our battalion, and it ended up getting, you know, really popular. And I was, I've always been a little technical, not, not very, and so I was helping people build pages and add music and da da da. And I just kind of fell back on that whole, uh, you know, that, that time in my life right after my first deployment. And I said, you know, I think there's something here. And so we started looking at, uh, you know, how would we do this and what would be required of that? As we started digging into it, we realized that the opportunity set was much greater. And there was, there, we had the potential to build a way to connect the military community to the content and technology that could simplify their journey. And we could do it in today's user experience expectations. Uh, by really focusing on the mobile, by focusing on the bite-sized content, and um, and making sure that we were looking at the data and engagement metrics to help drive the business decisions for that overarching understanding of we're here to simplify the military journey. So uh, that was like the big aha moment for us. And uh, I took you know my little time from WR, you know, learning how to raise money for alternative assets, and kind of put that to work and. You know, we we uh, we took a PowerPoint and ran around Wall Street and shook people upside down for temp change. Nice. So, talk about what what is Sandbox? Explain to our audience a little bit about like give us your thirty second pitch about what Sandbox is. Yeah, absolutely. So, 
Um, what, so I, where we want to end up is, um, is kind of like what WeChat has done in China. For, for China, WeChat is their everything uh, platform. It's, it's kind of how they really move through their lives, where they consume a lot of their content, where they use a lot of features and functions. Um, and uh, so what we're trying to be able to do is, is think about, you know, the, the individual journey points for our three stakeholders, which are the military family members, the military members themselves and the commands. And we're trying to align um, those stakeholders along a timeline and deliver content and technology that helps simplify the friction points that exist at any given time. So, for example, um, you mentioned, you know, our, we're, we're, we're really well known for our letters platform. So when, when, we, first, when we first launched, we, we, we said, oh, let's build the social network and let's add all the units. And, and you know, Kevin Costner moment, you build it, they will come. And like crickets. And so it was like, well, we, we should probably have a, a customer acquisition strategy of some sort. So we built this letters platform because we knew that the greatest friction point uh, for, you know, our young military community and their family um, as they join the, the military is this disconnection from home. You know, when you and I went to boot camp, you know, we didn't have phones. Um, today's generation of, of warfighters grew up on phones and it's a major impact when they go to boot camp without their phone. So we created what, you know, a Navy recruiter actually uh, coined as Snapchat for bootcamp. And it was just this simple, easy way to send a physical piece of mail to basic training. And we kind of slowly began to optimize and iterate it. And at first it was super simple and you could you'd snap a photo and, you know, myself and my co-founder Swami, um, who's, our, who's our CTO, were literally like sitting in, in Connecticut at this house that was like the sandbox office printing letters and like running them over to the post box. <laughs> it was, it was a, a pretty fun manual process initially. Um, and then we just started thinking about how do we make the thing better? How do we make it better? And um, two, like two years flew by and, you know, we went from, you know, being three of us to, you know, having 15 people on the team and, you know, shipping, you know, like a thousand letters a day. And all of a sudden, you know, the Marine Corps came to us and said, this is super cool. We see, a big impact on the morale that this is having on our Marines and our recruits. We see a big impact that this is having on the the brand narrative that the Marine Corps communicates back to families. We see what this is, how this has an impact on recruiting and we see how this can impact, you know, uh, sales and uh, a touch through the, the Marine Corps exchange. So it's this really neat kind of win-win cycle. So two years ago, uh, we started acquiring every single Marine that joins the Marine Corps, um, uh, through our process that we do at San Diego and at Paris Island and, uh, the business like really took off from there. And so, it, it, you know, going back to, you know, your original question, it, it started with this idea of, we knew we wanted to simplify the military journey and we knew what, you know, what Mars looked like and, but we just weren't quite sure how we we're going to get there. And so we, we started by taking these bite size, um, you know, business decisions around friction points and content and technology and, and letters was the natural fit. And so we, we started with letters and, and it took off beyond our, our wildest expectations. That's incredible. We are talking to Sam Meek. He is the founder and CEO of Sandbox. We're going to take a quick commercial break. We will be right back. CPA dudes where accounting is never boring. Their price is not based on time. Instead, customers decide what to pay them. They don't charge you for sending invoices, phone calls, emails, texts, or meetings. They just get the damn job done. Find them at cpadudes.com slash startup radio. All right, we're back. Thank you uh, for that lovely spokesperson. 
Great voice that guy has. Uh, so we're back with Sam Meek from Sandbox. Uh, you were just talking a, a little bit about sort of the precipice behind Sandbox and, and your vision behind it, and then you guys landed the Marine Corps. That's huge. So what during this discovery process uh, that you described earlier where you weren't really sure you sort of did, did this, build it and they will come, what did you learn from that? Well, uh, I... I one of the great $300,000 lessons that uh, we learned very early with like the first money in was don't outsource your technology. Um, there are, there are cases where that has been successful. I have, I have plenty of friends that have done that and, and, and have good stories to tell, but I have many more that, that, uh, that don't. And, you know, we ended up on the wrong side of the coin with, uh, with trying to outsource, um, you know, the, the initial build, um, through the process, we ended up actually, you know, meeting some really great people and and getting 1.0 out the door, and that's when Swami came on board and, and shipped 1.0 to the App Store. Um, but I think that was one of the initial things um, that uh, that we learned is, is is really kind of you know you, you got to own the product, you got to control the expectations, um, and the best way to do that is to is to have you know the engineering resources in house so you can you know sit with you know, the team and, and make fast decisions and, um, you know, be able to deploy and, uh, and fix bugs and iterate and optimize at a, you know, very judicious pace. I was, I think, one of our big learning lessons. Yeah, that's great. And so you don't just do letters. You guys do other things. I, I saw on the website that you guys do travel as well. Like, what was the thinking yeah. there? I mean, that seems like a total departure from your sort of core uh, initial mission. Right. And, and, and I think a lot of people think that. Um, but when you, when you break down what we're trying to accomplish on a, uh, from a journey perspective and you start with, um, you know, the, the friction point of basic training, um, and then you, and we built this letters platform and then we build, we built all this content that deploys to all of the service members, families. Um, so for example, if you are, if you have a son who's at Lackland air force base at, in week three of training, you're going to get content about what's going on at week three training. Uh, via sandbox versus if you're, you know, a, uh, a Navy mom who's in, you know, whose son's in week seven uh, at Great Lakes, you know, she's going to get week seven content. And so when you think about the, what's the next culminating event for the, the, the <laughs> if you think about the next culminating event for the, uh, the community, it's really getting to graduation. So we've, we've got about 1.2 million folks that attend a military graduation every year. And when we started developing the content about how do you get to Fort Benning? Which gate do you got to go through? It's, you know, San Diego boot camp for the visitor center, all that stuff that, you know, you're familiar with that, you know, it's like, you know, like the stuff we deal with, with PCSing, these families have to go through. And so when that, when that content started performing really well, um, uh, we decided to, uh, try a couple tests with travel and we had some pretty insane conversions. We literally, I think mean, our, the, the very first test that we did was, we had 700 families who we knew uh, were had a kid or a loved one in basic training. Uh, we sent out 700 emails with a Google form that was like, hey, book your travel via Sandbox. And 400 of those folks completely filled out the form and hit submit. And of those 400 folks, we called up and manually booked 100 tickets. Good grief. So it, it was kind of one of those like, whoa, there's something here. We did the same thing with hotels. We had good conversions. So at that point, we decided to invest and build a full-service online travel agency from scratch. Um, and so we're kind of like the, a kayak or an orbit or, you know, name your OTA. Um, but what's really cool about Sandbox is 
Um, you know, we're the only OTAs that can pull a military fare code. So if you're active duty or if you're traveling with an active duty member, you can pull a military fare code from United Airlines or, you know, any, any of the airlines out there. And, you know, I've seen up to 60% off tickets. Wow. Uh, and the other thing, the other thing that we do is we, we supplement uh, the, the entire travel journey with content. So, you know, if you are going to San Diego and you've got to go, you know, get to graduation, we know that these are the six hotels you should stay at because they've got a complimentary shuttle. They'll, they'll give you complimentary breakfast for you and the family. They'll make sure that you get to the graduation on time. And, you know, we get some special perks that we do with each of these hotels that really make it a curated experience for our travelers. Um, so we're, we're still in the infancy of, of building the business. We, we launched the MVP last year. It's very successful. Um, you know, we've, uh, our travel team went from, you know, basically one person to uh, now seven. And uh, we've actually just hired a, a, an amazing rock star who came from a company called Upside Travel to run it and um, is putting, you know, a real growth model around all the metrics. That's incredible. I, I mean, it, after you explained it to me, it makes perfect sense, right? Like, I, yeah. you know, when, when I but, graduated uh, yeah. boot camp in the, you know, dark ages of, of the military, this would have been great to have so I could send my family information about how they could book their, their travel to come out to uh, Great Lakes. Right, exactly. Yeah. So all these things that you've done uh, in learning, what do you think is the biggest thing that you've taken away so far uh, through this process? Like what you you iterated on the uh, on the tr- on the letter platform, you you you've looked at travel as a as a guide guide on here. What are some of the other uh, tentacles, if you will, that Sandbox could utilize to to be more valuable here? So, um, from a product perspective, is it a question from a product perspective? Yeah. Yeah. Like what, what other ways do you think you see sandbox adding value within this ecosystem? Sure. So, so we, uh, we, um, we've, we're doing a bunch of interesting pilots recently. Uh, one of my favorites is, um, we, we have a theory, uh, that we can help with changing American propensity towards service. So, um, what, what's neat about the process is, when folks show up at basic training, um, you know, uh, most of the time they don't have their phone. It's already been surrendered. Uh, and we have an employee at each installation that uh, briefs all of the new recruits and trainees about Sandbox. And at that time, they get a card. And on the front side of the card, they put all their information. And on the back side of the card, they list mom, dad, their recruiter, and a couple friends and family that they want to stay in contact with uh, while they're in basic training. And then we send text messages to that universe um, uh, that day so they can start firing off letters and keep in contact with, with their folks in boot camp. But what's neat about that audience though, is, um, that they are the, what you would define as the influencers around the social graph of each warfighter. And so what we want to do is leverage, uh, the story of, you know, you going through your great lakes journey or getting prepared for boot camp as a way to change American propensity around your individual service, uh, your individual social graph around, uh, the, you know, idea of serving in the military. So we, we did a campaign with, um, a recruiting station and, uh, within six weeks, we increased their social following by 2000%. We increased their social engagement by 7,000% and we increased their metric of, of, of getting people into the office via digital channels by 126% in, in a, in a six week period. So, um, it was a really kind of big aha moment for us. So one of the avenues w- which we're, uh, exploring this year is looking at doing that on an enterprise level with, um, the recruiting commands, as well as thinking about, um, how do we, how do we help the, tell the brand story 
of each branch of service back to the family. So um, that they're a little less scared and they're a little bit more willing and excited about that military journey while you're in the delayed entry program. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I I went through the the delayed entry program before I went in, and, and uh, yeah, I mean back in the mid early '90s when I went in, it it was uh, I'm sure far different than it is now, and and way less engaging. Just you know, you showed up every week for your meeting, and and maybe once a month for some you know training or PT to get you ready for boot camp, and that's about it. So, yep. uh, so and, really and, and and you got and you got all these you know parents out there that. You know, you're joining the Air Force to be a comm operator, and mom thinks you're going to be, you know, front line of the war. And it's just, <laughs> it's just true. It's just, you know, it's being true. able to help uh, folks understand uh, not only what they're going to be doing, but telling stories about, you know, what's going to, what's life after the military like. You know, that, that comm operator is going on to work for Verizon and has a great career, mm-hmm. um, and making sure that those stories get, get told back to uh, that next generation of family and warfighter. So you, you mentioned the the partnership with the Marines. Are other branches starting to latch on to this as well? Yeah. So um, in in December, um, we partnered with uh, the – are you familiar with AFES, Army and Air Force Exchange? And then you're obviously familiar yeah. with, with NEXTCOM. Yep, yep. Um, so uh, through those relationships, um, uh, we have just launched at uh, Air Force Boot Camp in uh, January. And uh, we just launched at Fort Leonardwood, which is uh, one of the big boot camps for the Army. Um, uh, we will be onboarding all 30,000, uh, army officers, uh, that go through cadet, uh, ROTC cadet command, um, out of Fort Knox this summer. Um, we're hopefully going to be launching with the Navy in short order. And, um, you know, by the end of the year, we, we, we should be acquiring, you know, the entire military community as they join the military. And then with the recruiting relationships, swimming upstream into that acquisition model. So you talk a lot about you know getting embedded in the in the armed services. Do you see a use case where this could be useful for other industries, other verticals uh, that could utilize Sandbox? I, I think it's possible. Um, you know, we've we've had organizations. We had like a trucking company call us up and say, "Hey, you know, will you help us organize our our, our truckers?" And we've had uh, um, you know we've like for instance we've looked at uh, other off the grid components like uh, the Mormon missionaries or you know the summer camps for the kids for the lettuce platform. There are other areas which we could explore, but um, you know we're we're really focused on on servicing the military journey at this point. So um, we really haven't put too much thought into uh, anything outside of that. That's interesting. So we've been talking to Sam Meek at Sandbox. Uh, he's the CEO and founder. We're going to take another quick commercial break. We will be right back. Today's episode of The Veteran Startups is brought to you by Publicize, a deconstructed PR subscription service which generates effective visibility for your business. For instance, media relations. Publicize handles all communications with the media and any content required to do this, press releases, editorial pitches, etc. And they offer a wide range of PR products and abilities out of which you can construct the PR package right for the future of your business. Check them out at publicize.co and tell them Carmen and Josh sent you. All right, we're back. Thank you, Carmen, for that. Uh, I'm back with Sam Meek. He's the CEO and founder of uh, Sandbox, and we were just talking about, you know, sort of how to branch this out. You know, one of the things that I've noticed in your profile is that uh, you're an investor as well. Talk a little bit about that. 
very, very, I mean, it, it, we're talking nickels and dimes. Um, <laughs> it's okay. Sometimes those <laughs> yeah. are the best uh, investments. So. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it, it, one of the fun things of, you know, starting a company um, is, uh, you know, skin in your knees. And I can probably fairly say that, you know, 50% of my decisions have been wrong. Maybe, maybe it's 40%, but um, that we've, we've, we've gotten, I think, lucky with, uh, a couple of, of growth ideas. And more importantly, we've, we've hired some really smart people to come up with better ideas and, and execute. Um, but as, as part of that process, you know, um, I try and stay in tune with folks that are starting companies and, you know, working on, um, the, the same issues that any company goes through, whether it's the capital raising or it's organizational formation or understanding, you know, talent acquisition. And, um, so as, as part of that, you know, I've been lucky enough to meet a couple, uh, folks who, you know, are, are just at the beginning stages of, uh, starting their ventures and, um, you know, chipped in, uh, very small financially and, and try to give, you know, some time as well to help them make better decisions. And, um, and the, you know, the advice that I give to a lot of, uh, entrepreneurs is, you know, Go find the people that are, you know, a, a year to two years ahead of you. Don't go find the guys with the gals with the with the gray hair. I mean, they can, they can be very helpful, and I have plenty of them on my boards, um, and I love them all dearly. But the a lot of the folks that I get some, you know, really tactical advice from uh, are the folks that uh, you know are are just a you know a step ahead of me as far as their growth. Yeah. So you've done both sides of this. You've you've gone and fundraised, and you've been an investor. What what do you prefer? Which side do you prefer? And I'm, I'm sure I know the answer to this already, but what what, what side uh, what side do you prefer? I think the answer is kind of, I I actually love raising money. Do you I really? really? Do. I, I, I I love it. It was you know when I when I uh, when when Walter Ritay hired me to come work for his hedge fund, um, he uh, I literally didn't know what I was doing, and um, he he sat me down in his big office. And he said, Sam, you're going to listen to me dial for, and he had this Brooklyn accent. He said, Sam, you're going to listen to me dial for dollars for a whole month. And I, and, he, and, I, and I was just in charge of the spreadsheet. And so he just started dialing and he was just talking to people and I'm just taking notes and then doing all the follow-up stuff. I was like his personal like CRM. And, um, you know, it was one of those things where I just, the, the world opened up to me to understanding, you know, how to leverage these relationships and then, you know, and then like figure out how do you build value for someone, um, and start to think about, you know, wealth creation and, uh, you know, risk reward and all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, I, I honestly, I, I do, I do love raising money. I, I haven't, I haven't done it, you know, uh, since our B round two years ago, but, um, uh, I, I, I currently help some friends out, uh, with introductions and, uh, you know, love, I do love doing that. So let's talk a little bit about that because, I don't think we've ever had anybody on the show be like, I love raising money. It's so much fun. Um, so I'm fascinated <laughs> by it, and I kind of want to dig in a bit deeper here. Uh, what yeah. is it about the fundraising process that you love the most? Uh, you know, maybe it's just because I'm a jarhead. I mean, you know, I like, I just like <laughs> if, if if there's a hundred red crayons to eat, I want a hundred and one. You know, and <laughs> I, it, it, it's, you're, it's, you're an overachiever. Um, Got it? <laughs> yeah, it's one of those. I think it's one of those things where. Um, the, as you know, as you know, all these decisions we make are so uh, rooted in just raw emotion yep. and even the greatest pitch deck in the world. If, you know, the person that you're talking to is pitching you, you're like, I, I don't want to spend two hours in Chicago O'Hare with this person. 
you know, you're not going to give that individual any money. Right. Um, on the flip side, I, I've seen, I've seen the worst freaking ideas, uh, you know, get pitched and they're just like, they're pitched by these incredible people that like truly care about like, you know, making straws from avocado pits. And it's like, that's not a business model, but you know what? They went out and raised, you know, 6 million bucks and, uh, uh, the thing fell apart, but Hey, you know, they had fun doing it and they lost a bunch of money. <laughs> so, um, yeah, really, you know, the, the intricacies of understanding, um, you know, the relationships, I think is, is really fun for me. Um, but, but, you know, at the end of the day, being able to help people understand, you know, how, whatever you're doing, uh, whatever company you're pitching is going to create some sort of value and then helping them have that aha moment is really, is, uh, is incredible. And, and, and you know, I, I also have to say that I think I'm a little jaded because, uh, you know, in my fundraising experience, most of it's been around sandbox. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to tell the story of we're, we've set out to, uh, to change the trajectory of military well-being, and everyone loves that story. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's a little different than, you know, trying to pitch, uh, you know, uh, Uber for chainsaws or whatever. <laughs> nice. So when you're building out your deck, you, to go pitch, what do you think is the most important, the most critical aspect of that pitch deck? Oh God, this is highly debated. Um, you know, there's, uh, I think, uh, first round capital and Sequoia and a, and a bunch of the big VCs all have great blog posts on, you know, the, the optimal pitch decks, but I've, I don't think there's one easy answer. Um, there's some investors that want like 55 pages. There's some that just want like, put it, if you can't put it on a potion stamp, uh, I don't want to learn about it. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think, I think that, there's there's always a couple things that are important there um there's getting the uh the the why out there you know um really leaning a little bit on that whole simon cynic mantra um mm-hmm. and helping people understand that why and uh and then secondly you know being able to to articulate the total addressable market is pretty key so folks can understand what the you know overall reach and capability and opportunity set looks like um and then being able to have a, a kind of a, a a clear series of go-to-market strategies because, um, you know, you're not going to, you know, your first one's not going to be right. And so at least to be able to have a handful of ideas on how your go-to-market strategy is going to work, it can't just be Facebook ads. Um, So those are some of the kind of key things that I see there. Um, I also think it's really important to to talk about your team. Um, There's one thing I figured out, there's nothing more important than your people. Um, literally nothing. It, money doesn't matter. Market doesn't matter. It's just all about your people. And, um, you know, early on you may just, may, it may just be you and then you just got to sell yourself. And, but if you've got a, a co-founder, I think you've got a lot higher rate of success in raising capital. Um, and, uh, and, you know, making sure that you're picking the right co-founder and, uh, or the right team early on is key. Um, and then being able to, you know, show off their talents as part of that pitch. When you're when you're building out your team, so we're gonna get get into lessons learned part of this program, because I'm sure there's a lot of listeners that are entrepreneurs that listen to our program, people that want to get into being a founder. So when you're building those early steps of your business, whether that's on the you know fundraising side or you're building out your team, talk about how important it is to align yourself with the right people that will help you grow your business, and and how important it was for you growing your business. 
it's uh, it, you know, it's it's the make or break for a lot of companies. Sure. Um, yep. I mean, I've I've seen way, and I'm sure you have way too many companies that pick the wrong co-founder or pick the wrong investors or pick the wrong board. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you just, so much, there's so much luck in this game. And if you, if the, one of the variables that you can control is trying to find the right people. And, uh, if you can find the right people, I think that it just, it adds tremendous, uh, you know, probability to your success. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, when, you know, what, like I'll give you example. So for our interviewing process, um, we, we like to put anywhere from 200 to you know 300 people in the top of that funnel for one role. And we, we filter that down to 10 people and I get all the stakeholders and the hiring manager involved in, in that hiring process. And we, we get down to three people that we literally are fighting about because we're like, we're like going to bat for like one person, one person's going to bat for the other. And we're arguing about three people for this one role. And it, it becomes the hardest decision to make. And, um, and it's really cool because at the end of the day, you got some of your brightest people, you know, uh, arguing about three people that you can't miss with. So, um, you know, that just a, a small example of, yeah. of, you know, I guess that kind of philosophy. That's really important too. I don't think people really understand the importance uh, of making sure that you're aligning yourself with the right people, not even just from the fundraising side, but from, you know, just the early stages of a business. Um, yep. Talk a little bit about mentors, not not just you being a mentor, but mentors for you. Talk mm-hmm. a little bit about how you recruit mentors, how you bring in mentors uh, to help you grow your business and how important that's been. So I would say that uh, there's, there's a little bit of mentor seeking out there and there's a little bit of uh, the magic of mentors just walking into your life. Yeah. Um, and that's how it's really happened for me. Um, uh, my, uh, um, my father-in-law, uh, has a great saying. He's one of my, my mentors, but he says, everybody, everybody needs to have their own personal board of directors. And I think it's a, it's a wonderful way of thinking about things. Um, and, and my mentors in my life, and, and you can look, they're, they're my board members and they're my uh, board of advisor members. You can see them on my website. Uh, I go to them for personal stuff and business stuff. And, um, they're very, very near and dear to my heart. And, um, some of them ha- I've, I've bumped into, you know, uh, completely random, um, randomly. And, and some I've, I've, I've sought out. And, um, so, it, it, but it's important to really leverage your mentors and talk to your mentors because it, those are the ones that, the, you know, as we were talking about earlier, you know, in trying to find people that have, they're a year to two years ahead of you, those are great for this tactical type of, uh, of processes and growth models. But when you're looking at like, as, as one of my mentors, Dan Mudd, will say, he's like, I'm, I'm looking four miles down ridge, like making sure there's no incoming missiles. <laughs> and uh, and he's like, you know, the, you, you got guys that are sweeping for mines in front of you. You got your snipers posted up. You got your combat engineers making sure that things are cleared. Um, but at the end of the day, you need some people that are more long range and more strategic thinking to, to help, uh, you know, guide the, the rails of the business and, and you personally. Yeah. No, absolutely. So I ask this of every guest towards the end of the program, and I, I'm really curious to get your thoughts. So every founder has done something in their past, maybe they've done it multiple times, where they've really screwed something up. They've really fucked something up. What's that one thing that you fucked up that you went, I'm never going to fuck that up? And what have, what, are you, <laughs> what have you done to mitigate it from happening again? You know, um, uh, I get, you know, early on and, and, and this is just my naivete was, was, uh, trying to outsource our technology. 
it, you know, we, we went with this like, you know, fancy digital agency in New York and, you know, they were literally like dumpster firing our cash. And, um, I remember it was like four weeks in and they still didn't have screenshots and they still were like fussing around with the logo. And I, I had a board meeting and they were like, so we've spent how much money and what do you have to show? And I'm like, Oh my God, I've, I've done this wrong. I clearly have done this wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, I think that, um, I think that really, you know, on the technology side, if you're in the tech, if you're in a technology business, you've got to have that in house. Um, you know, as I said, there's, I've seen, and I know people that have been successful with outsourcing that, but, um, I would never go down that route again. We've done it a little bit of outsourcing here and there, but it's been very controlled, right. project managed, and 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 super tactical. But um, especially in the early days, um, find that co-founder, load them up with 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 equity on a vesting schedule, and you know make sure that you guys are locked at the hip. And um, you know I think that that's that's a good recipe for success. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. I've seen so many founders that outsource their especially in the early stages outsource a lot of the development stuff and i can't i don't know that i've ever seen that be successful ever ever it is really really hard because you're basically saying i don't want to control my future yeah Yeah. i I was i was i was talking to a startup um yesterday who's who's having some really big struggles they've got their this dev team in in uh, uh egypt they're on the other side of the clock so they, they, they literally just lose 50% of their day consistently. And it's, uh, and, and you know, they've, they've shipped crap product and, um, it's really hurt the business. Yeah. And it's funny. I, I talked to one, uh, founder who did the same thing they, you know, they outsourced it to some dev shop and, and basically gave away their rights to the IP by doing that. So it's really difficult. Yeah. And I completely agree with you that. Especially in those early days, is uh, as you're figuring out what your product and your platform is going to be, I just can tr- do what you can to control it in house. And and equity is a great motivator for a lot of people. Sometimes it's not, and and you get sort of what you get. But I think once you have figured out how to just chip away at the small things and grow and grow and grow and do it in a controlled way that you control, I think it just sets you up for a better chance for success. Right. Yeah. yeah, and and, and on your on the equity note, uh, I, we've we've met so many people all the time that that you know they say no, I don't want equity, I want I want salary. And I say, well, if you want that, go go work for Booz Allen or Capital One. They'll pay mm-hmm. you great money. Yeah, um, you know, uh, and so the people that that are are incentivized by equity, um, you know, are are fantastic, and and you know, uh, almost all of my teammates have a, a slice of, of sandbox, and um, I know that uh, you know, knock on wood, if if we continue to do what we're doing um you know everyone's gonna be really successful well not only that as a founder uh, you if you can sell the dream to one person and then iterate that and sell it to another person a lot of investors are looking for that were you able to Mm -hmm. sell the dream to somebody else and follow you into this thing that is the hardest thing you're ever going to do yeah, I mean, I can't tell you how many times Swami's looked at me and said, <laughs> I, "I don't, I don't think we're like you know we're not going to make it. Like oh, we can't make payroll, or you know, all this other crazy stuff in the early days." Yeah. And uh, you know, getting through those tough times was was pretty pretty foundational. But as I, as I you know, even even today, we're still in hustle mode and and, and trying to you know make things work. Um, and uh, you know, it's it's crazy because you look back on you know what Sandbox was two years ago, three years ago, and um, you know. 
you uh, it feels like you're in the trench and, and in many ways like being back in this like military experience where you're you know fighting side by side coding marketing operationalizing and executing um in a in a whole different way but um you feel like you're around your comrades and i think that's what we've been able to create a sandbox um from a culture perspective that's awesome we've been talking to sam meek founder and ceo of sandbox we're gonna take our last commercial break we will be right back Support for today's episode comes from our friends at Ruby Receptionists. At Ruby, they've mastered the art of turning rings into relationships. Their team of remote receptionists answer all of your calls live as if they're right there in your office. Together, you and Ruby transform your phone into the sales engine it was meant to be. Start setting your business apart today. Visit callruby.com forward slash startup radio to sign up or better yet, call them at 833-861-8100 and use promo code StartupRuby. And we're back with Sam Meek from Sandbox. Uh, so we, we have about five minutes left, and I wanted to talk to you a little bit. I noticed on your on your profile you are part of the board of advisors for Blue Star Families. Talk a little bit about your involvement with that organization and why you wanted to to be a part of that. Sure. The, uh, gosh, Blue Star Families is just an, an incredible organization. So um, uh, my friend Kathy, who's the CEO, um, she has set out to uh, create a new way for our military communities to kind of connect and, and, and created a, a bunch of neat ways for um, folks that aren't in the military community with the uh, Blue Stars Neighbor Program to understand um, what the being in the military is all about. And uh, I, I think, as, as you're probably aware, is, is a, a lot of uh, foundations and nonprofits, um, uh, you know, they're, they're, they just, they're structured differently. They work differently. Um, and so some of the stuff that I, I try and help um, the Blue Star families gang with is just really thinking about, um, you know, careful measurement, uh, platform selection, and, um, you know, the way that they're thinking about uh, building growth models. I think that a lot of nonprofits, uh, you know, tend to, you know, take their donor dollars and then just go out and spend them and, and live on this flywheel that isn't really well measured and, and doesn't have, you know, any type of growth potential to it. Um, but with Kathy and the Blue Star Family Gang, they're really committed to um, to, to growing uh, Blue Star families in the sphere of influence and what they're doing around the military community. And uh, I think they've, they've got the right team to do it. And so myself and some other really lucky folks uh, are just trying to help them, you know, uh, get through some cool decisions, you know, hire some smart people and um, and continue to uh, prosper with their mission. Well, I think it's a perfect fit for what you're doing, too. I mean, the, what they're doing and what you are doing at Sandbox align beautifully yeah they uh you know they, they they really they've they've done a great job of curating the um military spouse community mm-hmm. and um one of the big initiatives for them is they're building these uh these chapters uh across the u.s they've got a lot they've got these chapters built but they're really investing in these chapters um to add all these resources around the military spouse community um and the military members themselves um and so one of the ways you really got to do that is how do you how do you think about doing that um, in today's age and in the, in the way we think about life and data and segmentation and, and content distribution and all these fancy marketing words that we like to talk about, uh, you've got to apply those same practices to, you know, uh, any nonprofit. And so we're seeing Blue Star families start to, uh, to think really kind of like a for-profit uh, model and, um, and begin to have some huge impacts on the communities. Nice. I love it. So we have a couple more minutes left, and I wanted to sort of leave this open-ended for you and really just figure out 
as as I said before, we have some people on the show that listen to our program that are entrepreneurs. They are people that want to start a business. What single piece of advice would you give um, a, an entrepreneur who is thinking about starting a business that has helped you uh, in your own business? So I, I think that there's two ways to think about this. I think there's, there, and, I, and, it, and, and many times, it's not always the case, but many times it comes down to where you are, you know, personally, financially. There are some people that have six months of personal runway in the bank and they can leave their businesses and work full time on something. And if, if, if you've got, uh, you know, that flicks a bit. I think if you've got six months or more of personal financial runway and you want to take a run at an idea, I think, you know, quit your full-time job and go after it. Um, for those that don't, um, you know, there's, there's definitely plenty of hours in the day. Um, you know, uh, most founders and startups and entrepreneurs, they, you know, run themselves ragged in the first couple of years. Um, you know, there's a very careful balance of that. Um, and I think that, you know, we've uh, figured out, you know, my, my wife and I that, you know, she, she runs her own business as well. And we have to make time for each other. And, and we actually, we, our, our son, our first son is only six weeks old. And so now we've got this new little love nugget in the equation. And so carving it like, where does the time come from? Right. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, there's a, there's a delicate balance to that, but, um, you know, fundamentally just, you got to do something. You can't just sit out there and want, you got to start something. You got to learn how to do something. You got to pick up the phone. You got to get out there. You got to network. You got to go to go to Squarespace and buy a URL and build a website. I don't care what it is, but just start something. Um, right. But you know that that next step I think is trying to figure out. You know if you can go do something full time, take a stab at it. If you're really passionate and you think it can work, otherwise, um, be really careful with the way you structure your time and get super focused with uh, almost like a from a project management perspective. Um, you know, leverage Jira or leverage, uh, Twilio or not Twilio, um, uh, uh, any of the project management platforms to think about how to structure your time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a, a neat way to do it. Um, if, if you can't, uh, go do it full time, but you got to do it fundamentally. Yeah, I completely agree. Where can people yeah, find you? And do it. So, uh, you can find me, uh, my email address is just Sam at sandbox with two X's dot us. Um, and, uh, I'm always on, always on email. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, so um, I would say if uh, if you shoot me a LinkedIn note, just put a message in there. Say, hey, you know, heard me on the podcast, or just a friendly note. A lot, I get a lot of random LinkedIn uh, connection requests, which I usually don't take. Yeah. Um, but uh, other than that, yeah, I'm I'm always open to to help people out, and I love love helping our our entrepreneurs. Yeah. No, I really appreciate everything you do. And, uh, and I wish you all the, all the luck. It's just an amazing uh, story and, and an amazing mission. And, and uh, it's been so great to, to talk to you, Sam. Thank you so much for being on the show. It's been great to be with you today. Thanks so much. Yeah, you've been listening to the Veteran Founder Podcast here on the Startup Radio Network. Listen every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific. Listen, learn, and get shit done. See you guys next week. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.